Boom! There it is, ladies and gents. We're ready to rock and roll another episode of the Business Bros Classroom. Today, we get to talk mergers and acquisitions. So if you're in business or you're thinking about getting into business, you should probably be thinking about how am I going to get out of this thing? And that's what today's episode is all about. So let's jump into it. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom, it can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Boss! All right, ladies and gents, look, everyone starts a business with the dream of becoming a multi-millionaire, maybe even a billionaire. But what does it actually take to get there? Truth is, you'll need more than just your will and grit to get you there. You will need a team, a plan, and more importantly, an exit strategy. You may have to merge or even acquire other companies in order to achieve that dream. And that's what today's episode is all about, mergers and acquisitions. So let's talk about it with Miss Chris Vanders Aiden. All right, Chris, welcome to the show. Ready to rock and roll. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. All right, let's jump into this thing. Um, when it comes to mergers and acquisitions, that's a topic I don't hardly know anything about. I know what it is. I can define the terms, but I've never had the experience uh, being acquired or merging with another company. How did you get into this space? How does one become a specialist in mergers and acquisitions? Yeah, yeah great question. Well, I ended up starting out in the corporate world as with PricewaterhouseCoopers as a tax specialist. And then at the age of 32, I decided to become an entrepreneur. And I built a company ground up, ran it for 15 years, uh, sold it, uh, started another company, sold it. Uh, so it's just, you know, I, I actually am an entrepreneur. I've, I've walked the walk and I've built businesses and sold them. And then I became uh, an M&A specialist in helping other privately held business owners exit at the highest level. So it's a, it's a great life at entrepreneurship. It is. It is. But, you know, a lot of times when I talk to the entrepreneurs that I talk to, they tend to have this idea of what they think a business is. And when I hear their stories, they don't really own a business. They own a job. And so when it comes time to exit this particular venture they're in, it's damn near impossible because they have their job. They run every aspect of it. So you've created, built businesses and sold them. What does it take for an entrepreneur to start a business and put it in a position where somebody can actually buy it? Yeah. The best thing you can do is plan as early as possible. If your intent is to go beyond what we call and what you're describing is a lifestyle business. And there's nothing wrong with having a lifestyle business. You know, if you want to start a business and it really is dependent on you, you have all the customer relationships, you're driving the revenue and it's and it's feeding your family. And, and that's all you want. You don't want the pressure of having a big business. That's fine. But if you have that lofty goal of building a business that is going to attract investors, 
sellers and buyers at the end of the day so that you have this great liquidity event and you do create real lasting wealth when you when you build a business and you sell it. If you do that, you start early and you make plans and you make sure that all of the value drivers that actually attract a, a, a buyer, that you're working on those and you're positioning, you're creating what we really call uh, is we call transferable value in the business. So early and get a plan. I, uh, I remember reading a book by Michael Ber Michael Gerber called The E-Myth. And uh, in it, he talks about when you start a company, uh, when you get ready to build something, even if you're with partners, uh, you should lay out your entire corporate structure. What's this thing going to look like? What are the different jobs that are available? What are the what are the criteria to even run those particular jobs? And it sounds like tedious work, especially if your name goes in every single one of the boxes at first. But it's important to have that laid out so that as your company begins to grow, you begin to replace yourself in all these different aspects of your business. Uh, and we hear it kind of thrown around a lot, especially in the entrepreneur space. Oh, it's all about systems. It's all about you know processes. But I don't think people quite understand um, what the importance of those systems are, especially when you're doing when they're in that lifestyle business, when they're just comfortable and happy where they are. But you talk about mastering that exit strategy. So how important are these processes and, and which ones are the ones that when companies come and look for an acquisition, they're looking for these to already be in place? Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about systems and processes, but let's let's layer on top of that and talk about what are the drivers that drive value in a business. So when a buyer comes in and they're looking at a business and deciding if it's an investable asset, they're going to look at what we call eight drivers. So first first is, do you have a strategic plan for growth? So what does that projected future look like? How can you scale the business, grow it, and what do you need to support that growth? That's a great place to start. Just get a strategic plan. Where do I want to be? Where am I today? Where do I want to be in five years? And then fill in those gaps. Who, who do you need to bring on board for the leadership team so that the business is not dependent on you as the owner? Because if it's dependent on you as the owner, a buyer, if they buy it, that's a really risky investment, isn't it? If I take you out mm -hmm. of the business, the business is dependent on you, right? So, so do you need leadership team? Do you have the right people in place? And we always want to see the right people um, on the, and the right seats in the bus, right? So are all of the people that are working in your business, are they really working and producing in the area that is their expertise and their talent? Some, sometimes we see misalignments on that. So do you have the right people? Do you have a marketing plan that's supporting that sales strategy? A buyer is going to look at it and say, okay, you're telling me in your strategic plan, you're going to become a $5 million business in five years. Well, let me back into that. Let me look at your marketing plan. And it doesn't support the sales trajectory. And do you have the operations or the infrastructure to support that? Can you scale the business? Do you have the operations? If you're manufacturing, are you running under lean manufacturing principles? Do you have the technology that's necessary to make sure that you're running efficiently? And, and are your systems and processes, are they, are they documented? So, so when you talk about systems and processes, you know, I want to see the documentation for it. So how does your business operate? And by documenting your systems and your operations, you're going to see holes as an owner. You say, okay, how do we, how do we sell our product? Where does it come from? How does it move through our operations? How do we market it? How do we sell it? 
you'll find the holes and that'll that'll beef up your strategic plan. So it's those kind of things that those value drivers that an investor will look at to determine, will I get a return on investment? Because remember, a buyer or an investor is looking for future predictable cash flow. That's that's it. That's it. Future predictable cash flow. So all of those drivers, they drive that future predictable cash flow. And if you can't prove that you have it and, and that the business can run without you in it, you've got some risk to take care of. Remove every possible variable. That's what it sounds like you're telling me to do. And it's funny because we teach in a math class, right? So we're all about finding those variables or finding the solution to those variables. But in business, you're like, no, we need to remove every possible variable out there. Everything should have a plan in place. And I love how you how you talk about documenting the process because when we talk about content creation, most of it is documenting your process. Um, and it kind of works in twofold. People are interested in their learning as you're learning. But the other side is that reflective mirror, right? When you're documenting your process, all of a sudden you're like, wait, that didn't work out right. And I, I always find it uh, amazing when a student listens to a teacher, they learn a little bit. But when they try to teach their peers what they learned, that is where the lesson really happens. That's where the, the knowledge really takes place. That's where you realize what you know and what you don't know. So when you're talking about documenting this process and bringing, the, bringing that thing together, that tedious step, as, as boring and as tedious as it sounds, is actually the groundwork that is necessary to put this business together. Did I hear you correctly? Yeah, absolutely. You're going to find the holes. You're going to find do a SWOT analysis, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Strengths and weaknesses are internal to your business. What makes your business tick? What makes it special? What are your strengths? You know, maybe you've got a key product or you've got a great leadership team. Uh, maybe there is, there is, there's a great, maybe you got a patent or something, some intellectual property. Those are strengths. And then you identify what are the weaknesses? Okay. What do we need to shore up? Maybe we don't have a robust marketing plan. I was just looking at a client yesterday, financial statements, and they're extending their brand into retail. But you know what? Their marketing budget is less than 1% of sales. How mm. far are you going to go? How good is your marketing if you're only spending 1% of sales and you're, you're marketing to retail? So that's a, that's a big hole. To me, that's a red flag staring out at me. And all I did was look at the P&L. <laughs> right. So so those identify the strengths, identify the weaknesses that you can shore up. Those are internal opportunities and threats are external to a business. Opportunities are what you see in the marketplace. That's the very reason entrepreneurship starts. Sometimes I found a gap in the marketplace. I can produce a product or a service that I see a demand. Well, that's an opportunity. How big is that opportunity and how are you going to capitalize on it? And then what are the threats? Maybe you've got regulatory threats coming down, or maybe you have, uh, there's new technology coming in and you haven't embraced that new technology yet in your business. So a SWOT analysis is a good start. Once you have a business, you can do a SWOT analysis. You'll find what's the good and the bad and what can we leveraging? And some opportunities are really, you know, could be, could be weaknesses in a business, vice versa. Threats could be, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And sometimes you don't have the necessary skills yourself, right? And this is where finding team members is so vitally important. I remember reading about Jeff Bezos and how he started Amazon. And one of the key things he did at the very beginning was he went out and scouted talent to build this organization up front. Now, mind you, he had a little bit more money than most of us do to get started in a business. But finding the talent was very was vitally important because he wasn't 
you know, he wasn't tech savvy. He wasn't in logistics. He didn't know a lot of the things that made Amazon what it is today. He had to go out and find that talent. And you, I mean, you mentioned reading the PL, right? When when most people look at a PL, they'll look at their gross revenue, they'll look at their total expenses, and they'll look at their net. And that's really about it. But what you did, re, I mean, you kind of grazed over it, and I don't think people really caught that, is you took a little bit of a deeper look and said, what does this PL tell me about this business? What is going on here? What are the numbers explaining about the situation and where this company wants to go? And those numbers make a big difference. Your background is in taxes. My degree is in accounting. We kind of speak that same language, but there's a lot of people who don't look at that. They, they see those numbers. And to be honest, they're scared and they don't want to look, right? They want to hide away from some of the information that's being portrayed in that P&L. Um, what are some of the things that, that, I mean, you mentioned one, but what are some more things that when you get ready to exit, that we can kind of look at our PNL and kind of pay attention to, to see if we're drawing any red flags. Yeah. So when you are thinking about you're starting a business and you're building that business and you know, at the end of the day, maybe your goal is to sell it to a financial buyer, like a private equity group or, or a strategic buyer. If you've got a strategic buyer, they, they pay the, the highest premium for a business because they see some great fit between your business and their business, right? So if you know that that's your goal, research and find out and say, okay, what is my EBITDA today? And, and, and understand EBITDA's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, and adjust it. Adjust it for those items that are non-recurring, extraordinary items, or maybe you're putting some personal expenses through your P&L. That happens a lot with privately held businesses, mm -hmm. right? So what is my EBITDA number? Because in most M&A deals, that deal is going to be based on the EBITDA. And you often hear it expressed as a multiple. We're going to pay you five times adjusted EBITDA for your business. So what do I need to build that business? Where does my EBITDA need to be? Where does it need to be? And look and, and say, okay, what are other, what are other businesses trading at in my industry? Get that number in your head and then watch your P&L and drive that number. So you have to know, okay, this is where I need to be. And, and talk to the students about key performance indicators because KPIs, watch those KPIs. So what am I, even marketing, you, you guys are marketing guys, right? So you do a marketing campaign. Okay. Maybe one of your K, KPIs is, you know, how many clicks am I getting? right? That's a key performance indicator. So we sent out a marketing blast. Well, how many people clicked? And by that, I mean, clicked through and actually clicked on a link, right? It's not mm -hmm. just open yes. <laughs> so difference. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Yeah, exactly. Everybody opens these days, right? I got 90% open rate, but you know, nobody mm. clicked. Um, so, so yeah. So, so um, understanding, you know, the key performance indicators that are going to assess you know, how valuable is your company? What is my adjusted EBITDA? What does it need to be to be able to sell my company? Those are those are good good things to know. Uh, let's talk about some trends right now. So in it, a lot of times with mergers and acquisitions, these are companies that are coming in, kind of scooping each other up for domination in a particular industry, for efficiency purposes. Um, and over the last few years, there's a lot of companies that are looking for funding. And and as I talk to more and more people as, as the economy
economy starts to take a shift, a lot of that funding is kind of going away. There, earlier, there was a lot of companies who would take a company that has a high burn rate and still invest in these companies. And now I'm starting to hear how investors are looking at that and saying, if your burn rate's too high, we're not interested. We're looking at companies that are profitable right off the bat. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the trend is in 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 yeah. with the market today for these companies that are getting ready to come out and they have this idea of what it was like even last year compared to what it's like today? Yeah, yeah we're coming back to reality, aren't we? And and in my opinion, it's a good thing because we were too loosey goosey because of you know the taxes were reduced for corporations. We had very very low interest rates. And whenever we have low interest rates, that means capital's cheap. And when capital's cheap, we have a lot of capital available. Private equity groups were able to raise a lot of capital. And that was sitting there as what we call dry powder, looking for an investment. And because we had interest rates were so low, we had so much liquidity in the market that we had, we had all this capital available. And it was, it was, we were calling this stupid money. I mean, quite honestly, we were seeing, you know, we had SPACs, right? Special purpose acquisition companies. Oh, what do you got? We don't care what the burn rate is. We're going to invest it, right? Because we've got so much money and maybe it'll make mm -hmm. money. I'm glad it's coming back to earth. So interest rates rise. Whenever they rise, capital dries up in the M&A world. And we're getting closer to what is more normal. You know, we, we really do need to get back to fundamentals, like you're saying. I mean, what is the burn rate on this, on this company? And I mean, is it a smart investment, you know? So, um, so it has shifted a little bit. We're still seeing very high premiums paid for businesses. Um, and there's still a lot of capital available. There's a lot of dry powder out there that has an, has an end date. So they've got to use it. So, so we're, we're doing okay now. And, and M&A always lags behind in the economy. So the economy is a leading ad indicator. M&A is a lagging indicator. So we're still good, but I, I definitely feel that heading into 2023, we'll even see more of a correction on valuations on privately held businesses. Yeah. I, I, uh, I want to make sure I clarify what a burn rate is. So uh, I, I have this analogy that my wife always uses. She says having a teenage daughter is like having a broke best friend. Like no matter what happens in life, they're always asking you for money. Can you buy me this? Can you get me that? And I feel like that's what kind of when you think about a burn rate in a company is the company is literally losing money. They are not profitable. And how fast are you losing that money is what that burn rate is, what we're talking about. So if well, you're if you're <laughs> I mean, that's it's right. It's such money, but it's burning through it's cash, burning through money. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you You're give your daughter a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars a week to go to go do whatever, and she's spending, you know, uh, say a hundred dollars for ten days, she's spending ten dollars, she's got a ten times burn rate, right? She's burning ten dollars up, and she's done with it, and and her hundred dollars in ten days. So we got a ten, we got a ten burn rate on that. So <laughs> exactly. I just wanted to make oh, sure because I got. Again, we speak that language, but then when I talk to seventeen-year-olds, they don't quite understand that. But they understand what it means to be a to be a broke teenager for sure. That's a, that that's a, that that mindset definitely does kick in. So it kind of helps relate that burn rate. Um, what about the type of businesses? I mean, right now, I think 
you know, and people have been asking me, Hey, what do you, what would you be investing in? And for me, it's like, it's threefold, uh, real estate for sure. Cause it's always a good thing to buy this black gold we call dirt. Right. Yeah. Um, the other one I feel is there's a lot of small mom and pop businesses that are just aging out. They're just getting to a point where they're ready to move on. And this is an opportunity for you to come into a business that's already existing and, and be able to, to, take that on. And the other one for me is e-commerce. Big companies like Amazon and Walmart, uh, Target are doing a lot of online deliveries and there's just not enough logistical, uh, basically warehousing to, to funnel a lot of these orders in. So I see those three areas as big investment opportunities uh, coming up in the near future. Any other trends for businesses? If people are thinking about starting something, where might they be interested in looking into? What industry? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's so hard. Technology is always going to be popular. I mean, you're right that we've got you know, we've got huge opportunities out there and you hit on one too, you know, you're talking about these e-commerce and, and what are the logistics on running an e-commerce company? And, and yeah, maybe buy a few uh, warehouses as real estate investment. That's not a bad idea. Right. So, but I do want to talk to you about that, that one point you made about the mom and pops and what's going on. And, you know, I, I guess lecture at a class for class at, at Harvard. It's the entrepreneurship and innovation class. And these are young entrepreneurs. And I am talking to them about this right now. Demographics, the baby boomers are getting ready to retire. And the statistics on how many businesses are owned by baby boomers is astounding. I think the last time we looked, uh, the U.S. Census Bureau, 70% of businesses today are owned by people that are age 60 and above. That's a really scary statistic, but boy, doesn't that scream opportunity all over it? Yeah. Because you are an entrepreneur, right? All of these baby boomers are going to retire. So we are in a really interesting spot in MA because prices of businesses is always, it always comes back. And I'm sure you teach the supply and demand. If you want the answer to anything, go back to the basics. It's all about supply and demand. So if we have a lot of baby boomers retiring and those businesses are coming to market, what happens to the price of the businesses? Goes down. Go down. Too much supply, not enough demand. So prices come down. What a great opportunities for these young entrepreneurs. And you're right. The businesses are set up. They may have some great asset value or brand value that you can capitalize on and you can pick it up for a nice price and grow it and launch it. I mean, it's great. I mean, I have in my book, I have a case study about somebody and they they bought a business that the assets had already been sold, but what hadn't been sold was the name. So they mm. literally, this gentleman bought a business literally for the brand name because it had been, the brand had been around since the 1970s. So we bought a brand identity of company that was stripped out. There was nothing to it. He just bought a name, but boy, he bought that. And within five years, he grew that company from $700,000 to over $5 million to eBay. He sold it for over a $40 million deal. Five it's years. the nostalgia effect. We, I, I, you know, it's funny because these kids make fun of me. I was born in the late 1900s, uh, so it makes me sound even older when you say it like that. So right? am I. But, but when you talk <laughs> about some of these brands, yeah, exactly, mid 1900s. So, 
So when you talk about some of these brands, though, they're also from the from the 1900s. And 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 right. for us growing up, we recognize these things. If I was able to buy something like the brand name for Circuit City or for Radio Shack or for some of these yeah. places that, you know, that were normal places where I would go growing up as a kid. But today, a lot of these guys don't know what it is. But to still have the power of the brand, it's so important. Um, in my class, the kids are learning how to use a program called Go High Level. And the whole idea behind it is for them to learn how to grab attention, capture lead information, re, uh, make a sale and retarget, right? It's a marketing play. And so I want them to learn the power of that. And when yeah. you're talking about these small businesses, I, I don't know how else to emphasize this to them, that the opportunity to even take over their parents' businesses, to multiply the revenue just by using those marketing tools that they have access in this class you can take one of these old brands, you can take one of these older businesses and implement some of these newer technologies to really take it to a whole new level without having to start from scratch. You're literally starting with right. something that already exists. Um, what do you think about doing that in the classroom? Oh, oh, I love it. I love it because we're not seeing family successions anymore. And there's a lot of businesses that are going to close because the next generation doesn't want to take it over. And we hear from these folks all the time. The parents are want to retire. The kids don't want to take it over because they don't want to work that hard. They're not interested in it. They haven't taken a business class like you have. So they haven't piqued their interest, right? So we're taking those businesses to market. But what a lost opportunity for the next generation. If you have parents who have a business and you are interested in business. I don't care what kind of business it is. If it's a whole, if it's a family succession, you're going to learn about business and it will apply to any business you ever own in your life. And it used to be my age, you would sell maybe one or two businesses in your lifetime. These, these young entrepreneurs, these kids in your class, they're serial entrepreneurs. They grew up watching Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos make these billion dollar companies and boy, they're motivated and they're creative. This next generation is absolutely the hope. I mean, and they're, they're phenomenal. They're, they're creative. I love my Harvard kids. They come and they come in with ideas, but boy, if you've got a family business, what an opportunity, but get involved early and learn as much as you can. When you're 16 years old or senior, I don't know how, 18 years old, senior, 16, 17, old, yeah. 16, 17 year old, yeah, go into the business after school, after sports practice, be there on the weekend. When you're sitting down with dinner at your, at, at, with your folks, ask them a question, go home tonight and ask them what the EBITDA is. You ask your dad what the EBITDA is in your business, they're going to be shocked you even know what that means. Exactly. You're 100% true. What about those kids that want to get into business um, or or their or even their parents or, you know, audience members that want to get into into some of these small businesses? Where can you find these businesses that are up for sale? I mean, obviously, if you know the person and that's one one way to do it, but where can you find these businesses? Oh my God, it's so phenomenal out there. I mean, here at Legacy Partners, we deal with businesses that have $2 million of EBITDA and above. So we're solid middle market. But for somebody starting out, biz buy sell on the internet. Get right into the biz buy sell. There's there's three major platforms. I can only think of biz buy sell off the top of my head here. But um, go online and start doing it now and just just play with it and play with your business on paper. Look for new businesses and get the, you know, have them run them through that drill. How do you, how do you invest in a business? How do you know it's a good buy? How do you do that? You know, get on biz buy sell and have them try to buy a business. 
Right. Oh, right. you gave me some ideas there because we're always we're always looking for different things to create funnels and marketing campaigns around. So why not do it for an existing company? Come in, maybe even offer a partnership opportunity. Who knows? There are multiple ways to leverage your skill set to buy some of these companies. It doesn't always have to be all cash. You could generate the cash flow from within the company itself. A lot of opportunities. Chris, you've been a tremendous wealth of knowledge. I know you have a book coming out, which means you've put your knowledge on paper. Super valuable to do. If people want to work with you, get a hold of you, get a copy of your book, how can they do that? Yeah. So you have my email address, my book, Master Exit Plan, actually came out earlier this year. We've got a, um, the I just recorded the Audible version. It'll be coming out beginning of 2023. But it talks about creating a business and selling and going through that process. I also have another book, Seven Steps to Entrepreneurial Victory. That might be good for your students. That came out back in 2012. But for somebody starting out, I go through, I talk about marketing. I talk about sales, operations. I talk about how you create a good business. So, but I'll tell you, if, you know, income is fleeting. Wealth is eternal. How do we create wealth? Start a business, sell it. You'll create lasting wealth and security for your family for, to the end of time. Oh, yeah. It's all about that cash flow, right? I think we got a question. I'm not 100% sure if you can answer it, but we'll pop it up here anyways. Uh, in a market like this, you should, should you choose to lease or purchase a property? Um, and they asked because they said even Buffett is worried about this upcoming market. I know. Buffett is worried too. And Charlie Munger, how old is he now? Um, Charlie is his, his partner. So real mm -hmm. estate depends on where you are right? So I'm sitting here in Sarasota. Our real estate values are very high and they're not worried about the interest rates climbing because down here, people are buying them for all cash. It's people who are retiring, selling their, their, their houses up north or in California. We just had somebody across the street from us who moved from California and they bought the house for cash. But if you are in a, a, a market where it's, you feel like it's too high, interest rates are up cost of capital is too high, your mortgage is going to be up, it may be better to rent. So you've got to run the numbers. What is the total cost of owning that property, including insurance, taxes, maintenance, mortgage? Compute that and then compute what would it cost to rent? And if we think we're going to have a market, if you think there's going to be a real estate correction in your area, rent. Great, great advice. And it comes down to breaking it down. You got to look at your numbers. Stop being afraid of your numbers. Stop saying, I'm not good at math. It's really just adding and subtracting and then interpreting the information that's given to you. Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show. A wealth of knowledge, of course. Uh, what do you think? I'm, I'm sure you've been traveling on a lot of different podcasts. You're literally live in a classroom. Uh, you're episode 1058. I've been at this for quite some time. What was your experience like on the Business Bros? I love it. You guys are great. I think it's anything that educates kids and educates them early about finance and business. You're doing an awesome job. I wish every kid had that experience. I think it's great. Happy to come back anytime. Perfect. Well, we might have you if we can steal you a little bit from Harvard. We'll do that for sure. All right. Happy. Ladies and gents, that's what it comes down to. Look, it, you got to have a plan. You got to have a plan in place. You got to look at your numbers. You got to see what those numbers are telling you. And you got to decide that you want something more in life than just your regular nine to five. This is something that you can really set yourself apart if you give it a little bit of time, effort, love. You'll learn so much. You'll meet some amazing people. And there are always people like Chris out there ready to help you. 
basically vet a company, see if it's something you want to work with or not. So one more time, if you guys want to reach out to her, her website scrolling across the bottom, but it's Legacy Partners llp.com legacy partners llp.com make sure you guys stop by and reach out and grab her book uh master exit plan because at the end of the day whenever you get into investments you need to think about how you're getting out and that strategy is what's going to help you either sell or have a business where you can literally walk away from and it runs itself because that's the plan at the end of the day more time for you all right ladies and gents we'll catch you guys on the next one peace and we're out it's over go home is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.